with the United Nations waving its flag and handing out chocolate bars to the children. That was the simplistic idea of it. And now, as I say, it's crisis, crisis everywhere. Because in the Club of Rome and other big think tanks that deal with this future that they help create, they also talked about the need for crisis in a global society. It's very similar to that of Lenin and his particular form of Marxism. When they brought in the Bolshevik Party, once they had their borders sealed and people contained, they had to find an enemy and that was terrorism within. The same tactic is being used now worldwide for the global society to bring the global government up to power. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix talking about the crisis creation because we've got to be scared witless now so that we can get managed and guided gradually into the right direction after all we're just animals you see according to those at the top and animals have to be herded and all down through the millennia they've given us the shepherd kings and the new shepherd kings are just scaring us all to death and then trying to get us to go along into this new, new direction of eugenics and bioengineering and the sterilization of the masses basically too. After all, we're the old type of human that can't go through into the next system of the transhumanist society. Mind you, the transhumanists themselves really truly believe that the big boys at the top are going to make, make, give them all these toys and all these special powers so they can be happy and play forever in their fantastic virtual worlds. So those folk are goners, as you see, because unless you're worth something to them, they aren't going to spend that kind of cash on you. And today, the big, big stick, the one that the Club of Rome hit upon when they're looking for ideas to unite the world along this particular path in a sort of warfare-type scenario, was global warming, where man would be the enemy of the planet and governments would have to step in and then regulate man. That was the whole con game. This article falls into this. Now, I've, I've had two, over two months of rain here in Ontario. And watching the clouds, they come from the north at the moment. And they're spraying like you wouldn't believe up here in the morning and during the day into these heavy clouds that rain and pass over. And they'll keep raining all the way down into the U.S., Buffalo, New York area. That's how they use the jet streams, you see. And that is found. You find that ability about using jet streams to carry this type of polymer type of aerial spray. You'll find that in the Weather Warfare Treaty signed at the United Nations in the late 70s. Look it up. They can do all this. It's old stuff. Old stuff. And they are doing it. Because they must convince the guys underneath the clouds who never look up and watch the spraying that we're causing the problem. This is the Wizard of Oz in action. And for most folk, it'll work perfectly well because they truly believe the media is there to tell them what to think about and what to warn them about. It's there to do the reasoning for them. And we had all these fudged theories, theory after theory. And don't forget, this global warming is heavily funded. It's big business for all the scientists involved. It's a paycheck for as long as they can string this out. <laughs> 
This article was written in The Australian by Arthur Herman on August the 4th, 2008. This is Climate Hysterics versus Heretics in an Age of Unreason. And this is how they're, they're calling that. Anyone who speaks out against the, the, the political correctness of global warming with any adverse theory or explanation is called a heretic because it's a religion, you see, and they're making this into a religion where facts don't count. It says, It has been a tough year for the high priests of global warming in the U.S. First, NASA had to correct this earlier claim that the hottest year on record in the contiguous U.S. had been 1998, which seemed to prove that global warming was on the march, but it was actually 1934. Then it turned out the world's oceans have been growing steadily cooler, not hotter, since 2003. Meanwhile, the winter of 2007 was the coldest in the U.S. for decades, after Al Gore warned us that we were about to see the end of winter as we know it. In a May issue of Nature, evidence about falling global temperatures forced German climatologists to conclude that the transformation of our planet into a permanent sauna is taking a decade-long hiatus, at least. Then this month came former greenhouse gas alarmist David Evans' article in The Australian, stating that 1999 evidence had been accumulating that man-made carbon emissions can't be the cause of global warming. By now that evidence, Evans said, has become pretty conclusive. Yet believers, and that's the right word for it, believers in man-made global warming, see, it's a religion, demand more and more money to combat climate change and still more drastic changes in our economic output and lifestyle. The reason is that precisely that they are believers, not scientists. No amount of empirical evidence will overturn what has become not a scientific theory, but a form of religion. But what kind of religion? More than 200 years ago, Scottish Enlightenment philosopher David Hume put his finger on the process. His essay of superstition and enthusiasm describes how even in civilized societies the mind of man is subject to certain unaccountable terrors and apprehensions when real worries are missing. Now, that ties in what I said earlier. You see, the Cold War is over. They've got to create hysteria and fear about something. That's how governments hold on to their power. Without all this, you don't need governments, you see. As these enemies are entirely invisible and unknown, like today's greenhouse gases, people try to propitiate them by ceremonies, observations, mortifications, sacrifices such as Earth Day, and banning plastic bags and petrol-driven lawnmowers. Fear and ignorance, Hume concludes, are the true source of superstition. They lead a blind and terrified public to embrace any practice, however absurd or frivolous, which either folly or knavery recommends. The knaves today, of course, are the would-be high priests of the global warming orthodoxy, with former U.S. Vice President Gore as their supreme pontiff. As Hume points out, the stronger mixture there is of superstition with its ambience of ignorance and fear, the higher is the authority of the priesthood. As with the Church in the Dark Ages or the Inquisition during the Reformation, denounce all doubters, such as Evans or Britain's Gilbert Monkton, as dangerous heretics, outliers in Gore's phrase, or as the willing tools of the evil enemy of a healthy planet, big oil. 
This is not the first time, of course, that superstition has paraded itself as science or created a priesthood masquerading as exponents of reason. At the beginning of the previous century, we had the fascination with eugenics when the gorers of the age such as E.A. Ross and Ernst Haeckel warned that modern industrial society was headed for race suicide. The list of otherwise sensible people who endorsed this hokum, from Winston Churchill to Oliver Wendell Holmes, is embarrassing to read today. Then as now, money was poured into foundations, institutes and university chairs for the study of eugenics and racial hygiene. Then as now, it was claimed that there was a scientific consensus that modern man was degenerating himself into extinction. Doctors such as German anthropologist Rudolf Virchow were dismissed as reactionaries or even as tools of the principal contaminators of racial purity, the Jews. And then as now, proponents of eugenics turned to the all-powerful state to avert catastrophe. A credulous and submissive public allowed politicians to pass laws permitting forced sterilization of the feeble-minded, racial screen for immigration quotas, minimum wage laws, which Sidney and Beatrice Webb saw as a way to force the mentally unfit out of the labor market. Remember, they, were the start, they started up the Labour Party in Britain. <laughs> and you think they're on the side of the working man. They were the co-founders of the Fabian Society. And other legislation which, in retrospect, set the stage for the humanitarian catastrophe to come. In fact, when the Nazis took power in 1933, they found that the Weimar Republic had passed all the euthanasia legislation they needed to eliminate Germany's useless mouths. The next target on the racial hygiene list would be the Jews. Real science rests on a solid bedrock of scepticism, a scepticism not only about certain religious or cultural assumptions, for example about race, but also about itself. It constantly re-examines what it regards as evidence and the connections it draws between cause and effect. It never rushes to judgment, as race science did in Germany in the 1930s, and as the high priests of climate change are doing today. Politicians everywhere should be forced to take an oath similar to the Hippocratic Oath taken by doctors, above all else, to do no harm. The debate in Australia on this issue is rapidly building to a climax. Before they make decisions that could trim Australia's gross domestic product by several percent points a year and impose heavy penalties on Australians' lifestyle, liberal and liberal alike need to re-examine the superstition of global warming. Otherwise, the only thing it will melt away is everyone's civil liberty. Well, that's the point of it, you see. There is really an agenda behind this global warming. So, you can read up on this particular story from the Australian, and they still have common sense down under, as they say, down there. I think it's the gravity that makes you change your accent, because you're down at the bottom of the world, you see. So that's climate hysterics versus heretics in an age of unreason. But of course, the author doesn't really know that there's more to this agenda than just a new religion. The new religion is created for a purpose to control our lives. And this is the one they said in the Club of Rome that they hit upon after looking for reasons to control the world. They hit upon global warming. That would fit the bill. That's the very words they used. That would fit the bill. So we're living in an age of crisis creation. Crisis creation 
as essential. We're getting punched drunk with crisis, crisis everywhere, and all these different things when it come our way from avian flu to black plague to meteors from outer space to maybe even space aliens attacking us if nothing else works. So this is to create the, the tension and the fear build-up, and people will get sick as they go through the next few years uh, worrying about all of this because you cannot live under that kind of stress especially when everything they're telling you is outside of your personal control. That's the tick, the trick of psychological warfare that wears you down. So we've got to understand what's going on and we won't get so worn down. But we also got to speak out. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix trying to put some reason back into people's heads as they begin to lose all reason when, by following the mainstream media that's just hammering and hammering about all coming catastrophes and I mentioned earlier on in the show about all the aerial spraying that we've got we've got aerial spraying going on every day on a world scale a world scale. Now, where did this Air Force come from? And they will not talk about it in the mainstream media. It's a no-no because, you see, it's causing the weather changes that you're seeing. I can watch them build up storms right above me. I can actually phone people down in the U.S. and tell them it's heading their way. This has been going on for years now. Years. I've got articles from the U.S. Air Force admitting they totally control and own, own the weather. That's quite a few years back they published that in the newspapers. Well, guess what? They do own the weather, and they're using it as weather warfare on the public. And they will be convinced, most will be convinced, we're causing the problem because they'd never do that to us. Simple as that. It's like Hitler said, if you tell a lie, make sure it's a big one. They'll never believe you'd have the guts to say it. That's why they can do it. And this is the kind of scale they do things on to eradicate the old system and bring in the new ordo ab chaos. Crisis, crisis, crisis. So everything seems to break down, and then they'll give you the new way, the ordered society. And with all the spraying, NASA a couple of years ago mentioned that the Earth was having less sunlight hit it. Well, my, 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 all this polymer that they're spraying in the atmosphere with this barium and aluminum oxide and metallic particles that works in conjunction with the harp technology to alter the weather, that's the purpose of it, is cutting the sunlight, you see. It's very, very simple. So here's an article that comes out from BBC Science and Nature Horizon about this very, very problem. And it says here, global dimming. Global dimming, they're calling it. <clears throat> Horizon producer David Sington on why predictions about the Earth's climate will need to be re-examined. Questions and answers about global dimming. We're all seeing rather less of the sun. Scientists looking at five decades of sunlight measurements I've reached a disturbing conclusion that the amount of solar energy reaching the Earth's surface has been gradually falling. Well, of course, because they've been gradually spraying. Paradoxically, the decline in sunlight may mean 
that global warming is a far greater threat to society than previously thought. See how it ties right in? They spray the skies, they cause this and use it to their advantage. They always use what they do to their advantage. The The effect was first spotted by Jerry Stanhoe, an English scientist working in Israel. Comparing Israeli sunlight records from the 1950s with current ones, Stanhill was astonished to find a large fall in solar radiation. There was a staggering 22% in the sunlight, and that really amazed me, he says, as though he's the first guy to notice it. I've been talking about this for years. Intrigued, he set out, he searched out all records from all around the world and found the same story almost everywhere he looked, with sunlight falling by 10% over the USA, nearly 30% in parts of the former Soviet Union, and even by 16% in parts of the British Isles. Although the effect varied greatly from place to place, overall the decline amounted to 1-2% to globally per decade between the 50s and the 90s. Jerry called the phenomenon global dimming, but his research published in 2001 met with a skeptical response from other scientists. It was only recently when his conclusions were confirmed by Australian scientists using a completely different method to estimate solar radiation. In other words, a new computer program that will tell them what they want. The climate scientists at last woke up to the reality of global dimming. Dimming appears to be caused by air pollution. No kidding. Have you seen the thousands of tons they dump in the air every morning? Go out and have a look. Now here they go. Here they go, you see, blaming the public right from the Council or the Club of Rome, I should say. Burning coal, oil and woods, burning cars, power stations or cooking fires produces not only invisible carbon dioxide the principal greenhouse gas responsible for global warming, but it's not, by the way, water moisture is the, the most common uh, thing there is, but also tiny airborne particles of soot, ash, sulfur, compounds, and other pollutants. They don't mention the aluminum oxide and the barium and even the cadmium, the high carcinogenic cadmium stuff they're pouring out in the skies every day. This visible air pollution reflects sunlight back into space, preventing it reaching the surface but the pollution also changes optical properties of clouds. Because the particles seed the formation of water droplets, polluted clouds contain a larger number of droplets than unpolluted clouds. I can see that right above me when they dump all the chemicals in and you watch the clouds forming. Recent research shows that this makes them more reflective than they would otherwise be, again reflecting the sun's rays back into space. So here's your, child, your children's story. They give you a children's story to cover the con game that's going on above your heads every day and has been for years. They're causing the weather modification. It's interesting that they even signed the treaties, you know, on weather warfare, admitting they can do all of this. And they signed the, the treaty saying they would not use it on each other's countries, which leaves them wide open, by the way, to use it on their own countries. Interesting, eh? It's the same with the bullets they use in warfare. They're not allowed to use hollow points against other countries' soldiers, but they can use them on their own citizens back home. That's how the con game the United Nations works. I'll be back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Hi, I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. And what an amazing matrix it is. It gets deeper and deeper all the time. And we'll go to the phones now, and we've got Cody from Labrador there. Are you there, Cody? Hello? Yes, go ahead. How are you doing there today, Alan? I'm hanging in. Hanging in there underneath the uh, the raid the raid cloud. You wouldn't believe it. Uh, two and a half, well, over two months of daily thunder and pouring rain. Yeah, I do believe it. I'm in Labrador. I'm 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 further north than you are. They're spraying us here too. Yeah, amazing. Uh, it's an amazing agenda, isn't it? It is an amazing agenda. And um, uh, speaking of the of the subject spraying, I you mentioned the word barium, so I called in right away. And I was doing my research and discovered that they are spraying barium one number 133. Now, there aren't 133 isotopes. Barium is an isotope. There are only 24. Barium-133 has a 10-year shelf life. All the other 23... I, now, I'm not sure if there's 24 or 26, but it's very close to this amount of isotopes. All the other radioactive isotopes... Uh, only have a shelf life of an hour to maybe 24 or 48 hours. Mm-hmm. They're spraying us with 10-year shelf life, barium. We're basically being marked like Adolf Hitler marked the Jews with the stars. Except they can no die. What's that? There's no doubt. This is also a, a long-range program because the children are getting taught in school. They're showing NASA put out a, a documentary for all children to see at school. Yes, and it's to, it's to convince them these trails are just condensation trails, which tells you those children have to grow up and spend a lifetime seeing this stuff in the sky and thinking it's condensation trails. So that tells us it's a very long-term project. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they have the um, they even have the stamps in the United States now, don't they? Those stamps came out some years ago, a couple of years ago, uh, with all the chemtrails in the sky. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, as if they're as if it's supposed to be uh, an everyday thing. So this barium that they're that we're inhaling causes us to glow, and they can scan us just like we're going through a grocery store. I won't be able to hide anywhere in Labrador. There won't be anywhere to hide because they'll fly over and be able to, de- to detect where we are. You well, I'm sure we're hide. becoming we're becoming walking antennas. I mean that's another part of it too. And when you use harp on top of it for the secondary signal, which they admit. In the Weather Warfare Treaty, they can use HARP. They can actually program you and alter your moods and so on. Mood alteration is the easiest thing with HARP, but they can actually uh, convey messages right into a person's brain if they so wish, or a whole population. Now, will you confirm to me, please, that you believe or are of, are of, are, or are of the understanding that they intend to reduce the Earth's population this is coming from the United Nations. They wish to yeah. reduce the Earth's population to 500 million? That's right. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, Suzuki said it, too. Uh, all the big boys, Jacques Cousteau said it before he died. Um, they're publishing that in all their, their main documents at world meetings. Uh, they have a, a Department of Population Control at the United Nations. Uh, this is not my idea. This is theirs. They publish their, what they want. <laughs> You mean you're not in hiding now after after masterminding this great plan up there in northern Ontario? That's right. I mean, well, see, they, right. they're quite aware. They're quite aware. You see, they have the, the, the minds of most people. They know this through their polls and through their snooping on everyone's internet. They can keep constant tabs on the mood of the people, 
and see what they're looking into. And sure enough, they're chasing Atlantis or they're trying to find their spiritual self or joining some cult or whatever. Uh, so, so they're well aware most people are oblivious to what's happening and probably will stay oblivious to it. So they, they don't care about the, the guys like me right now. They're so cocksure they can pull this off with yes. little opposition. Yeah. Well, um, I come from a long line of uh, centurions. It seems like everyone in our family lives for a great long time. So I've had the benefit of my grandparents and my great-grandparents telling me Basically, essentially, I mean, with whatever the technology was in their lifetime, they were experiencing genocide also. Just mm-hmm. a different, different form, a different technology. They, they did it. We, we, we did it to the indigenous people here uh, in North yeah. America, giving them uh, smallpox on on the blankets, and um, we, the United States, murdered millions in the. It was a fabulously huge population of indigenous people in North America. They were. Genocide's nothing new. No, it's nothing new. It's still going on, yeah. And to them, it's simple. To see, the boys at the top see us as, as economic units. And they still use that in their, their big theories that they have, like game theory and so on, were economic units, according to the politicians at the top and the bureaucrats that really run the show. So um, this is simply too many of us for the new system. And, and they don't want us using up what they see as their resources for their offspring and for their future. So they want a, a managed society. This is, this is family planning for the global village. You see, it's, it's the same agenda, and they want to get rid of all the useless eaters, and that's how they see the consumers now. So um, it seems quite logical for them to go the next step and simply kill us off. Now, but back in the 60s, they had global meetings on population reduction, uh, world meetings, and they decided to take down the third world countries like Africa quickly. But they would introduce into the West crippling and disabling diseases to make people ineligible as partners for marriage. That would reduce the population. They'd die off more scattered, not quite all at the same time. And no one, no one would get their head up in, in, in fear or wondering what was happening. So that was the techniques to be used for the West. And sure enough, suddenly, out of the blue, you got Epstein-Barr virus. You had chronic fatigue syndrome, you had AIDS breaking out, you had uh, herpes, uh, and all the rest. All these things came out all of a sudden, and sure enough, it swept through the population, and people are disabled. They're out of the game uh, with these diseases. So whenever they publish something, there's one thing you can always be sure of. They stick to their plan, and and you can always use their, their, their quotes and their writings to show others. Are you familiar with Dr. Diego? Yeah. Dr. William Diego, okay. Now, he's, his, his remedy or his uh, conclusion is that we have to all don nanomasks and we have to start uh, uh, taking copious amounts of this super silver uh, solution, uh, ingesting it, and we're all going to be saved. Now, um, this is certainly not the case. They're going to round us all up and take us away to these 600 uh, gulags they've built all across North America, aren't they? But they'll do that too, and they probably will. Uh, I, do, I really do think they will release the pandemics once they have enough people into the cities, and people are moving into the cities rapidly. You're talking about the American Indians. See, the city is just a reservation. Yes. That's what the city is. These habitat areas are nothing but reservations where they'll gradually cull you off, as they did with the American Indian. Yeah. Yeah, it's minimum security, is what it is, right? Or is, is uh, min- it, it appears that way, however. It's actually maximum because everywhere you go, you're monitored in the city with cameras and microphones and 
your, your, your cards are scanned. Even the ones with barcodes are scanned remotely. They've had that technology since they gave us the ordinary barcode. They don't need to put it through a machine. That was to fool us. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so then... Okay. So anyway, I, I got to go to the next the next caller. I would okay. love to have a solution where to go, what to do, and uh, other than just talking to you, to people who don't want to listen to me about it. I would like anyone. Yeah, well, where we are, that's the problem. Where we are is right here, and I keep telling people um, this is the place where the where the battle is. It's right wherever we are across the world. Where where we are right now, that's the battlefield. Yeah. Safe is uh, that's that's as far as you can go with this, right? That's as far as we, we're allowed to go with it. I understand. Yes, I know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this show will be over if you were to say anything more than that, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good night, sir. Bye now. Now, with Jared in New York. Are you there, Jared? Hello? Hello. How's life, Alan? How's life, Sheila? Um, life is keeping my head above the floods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, so many things to talk about. Um, I, don't know, I guess I'd address that uh, transhumanist thing you're talking about. And uh, I went on, like, YouTube and I uh, was looking it up. And uh, uh, and that's this, too. There's one video called uh, transhumanist, Transhumanism, I, I Choose to Win. And you got to see, like, when they talk. Because I think, like, they're atheists. And, and I can see how, like, they they really believe that, like, they're going to be, like, superhuman soldiers and, and, and have, like, a higher intellect and everything. And, mm-hmm. and then... <laughs> and I see how, like, I guess um, the religion, the evolution, it, it, the logic can't take you anywhere else if you really believe in that stuff. But. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and it's been sold to, to, to get supporters who are really pretty stupid. Mm-hmm. That the big boys are going to give it to them, too. Of course they're not going to give it to those people at the bottom. And they never intended to give it to those at the bottom. Uh, they don't care if you want to play the rest of your lives in cyberspace just to make you happy. <laughs> uh, but this is, this is how they, the, the fools see it. They will not go into the main sites on transhumanism and see the and read the reports from the world meetings with all the professors. They won't read this stuff. Because they, they make quite clear uh, that only selected people only and, and those with the correct genes will be allowed to go into the and through the transhumanist agenda. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and um, I've watched uh, a couple of, like, a few, quite a few of the movies that you talk about and you talk, and uh, I don't know if you ever seen this movie. It's called uh, Children of Men. Yes. Yeah. It's a pretty good movie. That, when I seen that movie, I don't know, it was kind of frightening because I've mm-hmm. seen all the symbolism and everybody was sterilized. and Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, the same stuff through repetition, a future where the masses live in poverty and rubble, and this this is a huge global private army all kitted out with all the latest weaponry. That's standard now to get us used to what's coming. Yeah, yeah I got one more question for you. In your book, um, you said that uh, that the the Bible, as much as the Vedas or the Buddhist scriptures, can only be understood and thoroughly sifted by the light of Hermetic philosophy. So, if I want to learn about like Hermetic philosophy, can you point me in a direction? Uh, yeah, the, the, the Hermetic philosophy traditionally was really the Illuminati of ancient times. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's just many different levels. The three-in-one uh, doctrine comes there. They should the, the, say that Hermes three times great. Mm-hmm. Try to make this, something like that. Yeah, and what it is, is really 
the ancient pre-Freemasonry system that existed in ancient times. And uh, it's a, the journey that they go through is always exoteric for the public, mm-hmm. which is fascinating itself. The, the public like to get fascinated, so they go on the exoteric journey, while the inner members always keep the esoteric reality to themselves. So it's written in, in such a way to mesmerize the public who... who and if you really read the words and, and, and the way that old religions were written, mm-hmm. it's very picturesque. You can actually picture it in your mind. It's intended to... And that's exactly. exoteric. If you simply cut off that ability and simply truly think about the words, you'll, get, you'll catch on to the esoteric without the visual exoteric uh, pictures in your mind. In, the, in that book, I'm like almost done with it, uh, Morals and Dogma. And <laughs> I saw he said... I guess that's why he called it that, because that's all he was talking about, like priesthoods that would keep the inner uh, truth for themselves and, and just gave all the people their morals, their morals and, their, and their dogma. And, that's yeah. all, and I've seen a lot of what you talk about inside that book. you basically, like, <laughs> just telling you every single God, where this God came from and all this, all this type of yeah. stuff. That's right. And, of course, there are ancient deities. If you really look at all their deities, technically... Uh, is simply the names of parts or, or areas of nature. And so it's a type of nature worship that's closely bound with the earth. And if you were going to Christianity, they would call it Luciferianism. That was the real meaning of Luciferianism, was mm. this what they call uh, a forms of nature worship and understanding nature. Uh, it, it used to be known as Luciferianism at one time. But on a higher level, it's human nature, right? Oh. Um, it's not really human. These guys are psychopaths at the top, and they are inbred. And I don't think they have the capacity for normal emotion and compassion and empathy for others. And they have, in a moneyed system, the psychopath always gets to the top because he or she is ruthless. Mm-hmm. And they have no conscience. So in a moneyed system, you'll always end up being run by the psychopathic type who then create dynasties and then they rule over you and have you all supporting them in the highest lifestyles. So that's the problem we have. Plato talked about Yeah, I was just reading that book too again. And <laughs> it's crazy how old eugenics is, how they say if somebody was born with a disease, don't treat them. It's better if you just yeah. basically let them die because they won't be able to serve the city. It was like, a, like socialism, I guess, in a way. And it was yes. So many... <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of, um, uh, dis- I don't know, like, uh, upsetting reading that stuff. Like, wow, it's so old. Yeah, yeah. But uh, thanks for ca- thanks for calling then. Oh yeah, um, yeah, um, uh, what's it called? I'll I'll donate to you. I just been uh, low on uh, funds lately, but don't worry. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. All right, Alan. Thanks. Bye now. Now I've got Z in California. Are you there, Z? Hey, uh, Alan. How are you? Not so bad. I guess everybody asks that, so I kind of feel bad asking that. <laughs> but uh, hopefully you're surviving up there. Um, yeah. Question. Uh, thank you so much for doing all you do. Uh, if somebody was interested in going further than what you, you know, spoke about in your blurbs and in your books, uh, how would we go about doing that? I mean, I'm saying I, I think you have a lot more to say than what you're uh, inclined to do over the air. Yeah, uh, the so problem is... Now, I have a phone someone... number from you that's from one of your blurbs. It might be old, but would mm-hmm. it be okay if I got in touch with you or something? Or uh, Because I'm in, a, I'm in a somewhat of a, of a, of a crossroad, 
and yeah. obviously we all are. And uh, <laughs> I think it's it's time to make some sort of a major decisions right now. You know, so uh, could you speak about that? Yeah. And, uh, thanks uh, for everything you do. I'm going to hang up. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. The, the problem is, as I say, you because you're going into ancient ancient religions and, and depth to understand even the present, which you have to do. Uh, then you, people today have no grounding in this, and so you can't give them simplistic answers without them having the, the background. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to them. So you, you're really talking about uh, a huge education in ancient religions with exoteric, esoteric, in other words, the occult side of all of it, and how it tied together and how it still ties together today. That's a lot of work you have to do on one person or, or a few people who can even absorb it because you have to have the memory uh, to be able to absorb it and recall it at will. Uh, so the tragedy of today is so much information has been kept back from the public. That was where all the churches failed as well. They, they, got, they were very elitist from the beginning and they did not let the people know the inner natures of things like good and evil and all the, the discussions and philosophies they discussed in ancient times which is absolutely pertinent to everything we're talking about today but people don't have that background and the only reason I'm on the air now and not teaching small groups is we don't have the time to do the intense education it takes to bring someone up to speed in so many different areas because, because the time is getting very very short once in a while, uh, I will take calls from individuals, um, but it, it is draining when you're doing all of this at the same time. But if you, if you try that, that phone number, you can try and see if you get through. I'll be back with more after this break. Hi, folks. I am Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. And we're still on the phone taking callers, and we have Kyle in Connecticut there. Are you there, Kyle? Yes. Hi, Alan. How are you doing? All right. Um, you know, for my studies, I realize that the Kabbalah comes from the Egyptian tree of life. And uh, how can Jews or um, New Agers adopt this, knowing that it enslaved the Hebrews to begin with? Well, it didn't actually. She's about a con game with Kabbalah. Kabbalah existed in a certain form, but nowhere to near the extent that it is today. I mean, the last book that was written was the Sephiroth, and that was written in about the 15th, 16th century, the 16th century. And even the guy's wife said he was a con man. But it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's got another purpose behind it. So only parts of what became Kabbalah were, were very old, and certainly were in Egypt. There's no doubt about that. I think Wallace Budge talked about it. But it was, it was um, the tree of life is, is a much deeper thing than you think. It's to do with eugenics again, and different types of human, man and Adam. That's really what it's all about. Man was created first in perfection. They were the gods that were to rule over the lessers. Adam was made to till the soil. He was the worker to be used. And so you have all these different allegories written in all the holy books to give you a clue. And most folk never clue into it, never mind the, the priests or ministers. They're the last to clue into it. So you're, you're, it's really the real life is to do with those who serve this system. And you're grafted onto it in certain uh, higher forms of masonry 
And that's another um, meaning of the G for generated gnosis and all the rest of it. It's also to graft. You're grafted on to the tree of life. And in the English language, you'll find that everything is coded, including the ghost, the Holy Ghost is G, host. You're grafted to the host. And that's a high honor to get, to get brought in, to spliced onto the tree of life. It's also called a scion, S-C-I-O-N, pronounced exactly like Zion. So that's the other double meaning behind it. You, you're a cutting that's then put onto the tree of life for serving the great work. And, that, and when you're up to the noble orders, you get knighted and all the rest of it. Uh, this is a very ancient system, and it's worldwide. And it's, it certainly does not pertain particularly to, to Judaism. Judaism was a latecomer to the show, and uh, it had pre-existed that in other cultures. And it is, a, it is definitely used worldwide. You'll find the same kind of thing even in Hinduism, which is far, far older, with the same meanings written to do with the gods. It's all allegories to do with uh, this system of control over the lesser beings tied up with eugenics. The profane are the masses, and their only purpose is to be used by those who have enlightenment. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's so many people that just follow this, and they don't even know it. Whether they have no idea what they're even prattling on about. <laughs> yeah. They don't know. Yeah. Do they call them uh, Freemasons that don't wear the apron? Yes. Yeah. Well, Freemasons, everybody technically is a Freemason if you've been through the, the school system, and Albert Pike meant that as well. These are the ones who have gone through, he says, without the higher initiations because you've been brought up in a Masonic system. Everything you have in the system, they claim credit for giving us, including the educate, this particular education system we have today. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks for calling. Yep, it's definitely a deep, deep matrix with many, many turnings, many corridors, but it all ends up in the same place, which is annihilation for most people if we let it happen how dear is life to you and the life of others that's up for you to decide from Hamish myself in a dark and dreary interior Canada where they spray like crazy it's good night to me your God or your gods go with you